Welcome to the Stateless Podcast, a community-driven resource covering digital and distributed organizations and their governance. As part of the Stateless initiative, we're building a podcast that's focused on crypto network governance and the fast-growing DAO ecosystem. And I'm Commodore, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at thy, T-H-Y, Commodore. Let's hop right in. What's your name and what are you working on? Thanks for having me on. So my name is Kindrel. I am an investor at Blockchain Capital. We are a venture fund dedicated to the space, been investing for eight or nine years and, you know, have about 110 portfolio companies across the space. And then I also recently launched the Komorebi DAO with Syndicate Protocol and She256 and Women in Blockchain. And this is an investment collective that's dedicated to investing in female and non-binary founders in crypto. That's awesome. And what was that journey like starting that DAO and like, you know, was it something that you felt like you you knew a bunch of people who wanted to do that? And so it was like, hey, DAOs are the right mechanism, or did you kind of build the DAO and then and then people came? Yeah, I, I got I think it was more more kind of the, the first where I it's a problem that I've been thinking about for a while. And I started introducing uh, female founder office hours and I knew a few other groups that were working on the same problem of of just how do we get more uh, visibility and funding towards female founders. And then there were a number of folks in the community who, you know, we were just chatting with and they were like, well, we'd love to support this and we'd love to do like spend dedicated time and, and capital on this. So it kind of just came together pretty organically from there. It's great. It's great to see. And I feel like it's such a awesome vehicle to, to solve that problem. I feel like, and this is going a little bit down a rabbit hole and I'm, I'm a little, a little going to expose my authentic self here. I feel like a lot of venture capital firms that talk about investing in, in those types of groups to increase the the wealth and be a participant of that, they talk about that a lot. And then I feel like it kind of comes in waves and that's kind of the hot thing to kind of talk about. And they maybe hire a couple, par couple partners and they talk about the X, Y, and Z. And then everything else just kind of keeps going on. And then all of a sudden you kind of lift your head up a year later and you're like, well, wait a second, what's what, what actually happened in terms of results? And you look and they're like, oh, well, yeah, we invested in a bunch of young white men and here we are. And so I feel like a DAO actually has a shot at fundamentally changing the incentive structure, which then will fundamentally help address that core issue as opposed to sort of being a popular kind of social token that I think some venture funds kind of put on their on their shoulder and be like, yep, this is what we do. Is, is, you feel like, is that the, a crazy statement? No, not at all. I think, you, yeah, you, I think you touch upon something great there, which is the incentives, right? Where this is something that anybody can, um, in theory, at least anybody can sort of decide this is a cause or sort of focus that they want to support and then put capital behind it. When I say in theory, anybody is because you know, I think the big problem with some of, you know, the funds that we see out there is just access and, and making sure that everybody can participate in, in both sides. And so I think the DAO structure, hopefully we can scale this to a lot, you know, a larger audience and have people participate, you know, women and allies just be able to kind of get in on the ground floor. Yeah, that's great. So I'd love to ask you, which fictional character would you like to have dinner with? Yeah, this is a really, I love this question and I have a very maybe typical or, or maybe maybe not typical answer, but Hermione Granger is like my childhood hero. I was like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be Hermione Granger and go to Hogwarts. So I would love to have dinner with her. 
And, and would it just be sort of a, you know, like a, like a fan, you're just sitting there and just like enamored by the presence or their specific questions or what would, what would you want the conversation to kind of drift into? I just, I, to me, when I think of her, I think of just, you know, somebody who's strong and clever and brave. And I feel like she is so curious and there's so many topics that she just takes a natural interest to. And that's kind of how I think about my career is just, you know, being able to ask questions and, and be intellectually curious. And I feel like we would, we would just get along a lot on that front where it's like, well, why are we talking about this or why are we diving deep? And it's, it's really just out of interest and curiosity. And I would imagine that if I, if there were, was a magical world, maybe there still is, but if there was a magical world, I would do the same. So that's kind of why I think we would get along and it'd be really fun. Yeah, love it, love it. So what gets you excited about DAOs broadly? Yeah, so DAOs, you know, they've been around now since 2016. And I think in the past two, maybe two years, they've kind of come into their own, whether we're talking about some of the larger DeFi DAOs or some of the other ones that we have more recently in like the social token space or the investment space. I think the the you know the the areas that they cover so decentralized being the first characteristic autonomous autonomous being the second and then organization being the third covers so many different angles so it's about social coercion it's about how do we use this technology of of you know blockchains to have a, a trusted you know trust effectively insured by a blockchain and then how do we make it so it's open and accessible to larger populations so i think the combination is just really unique and something that we haven't come across yet um and our existing structures when it comes to like you know organizations where we work or where we live i think are are in need of some some innovation and, and some rapid re, you know restructuring so i'm i'm really excited about that angle and you know i think this is going to play a large role in the future of work yeah, do you think that there are certain subcategories of DAOs that you expect to really, really thrive, you know, for the next 20 to 50 years? And there might be other subcategories that are a little bit of us in the experimentation phase. I'm reminded of like the Uber for X, right? Everyone tried the gig economy applied to X. <laughs> and, you know, there's a few that stuck and the majority of them didn't. Do you feel like that is a fair kind of analogy for the way that DAOs are playing out right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's been some funny tweets where it's like every, you know, everyone's turning everything into a DAO, like a Telegram group is a DAO. And I know I think it, it's gotten to a point where it's, it's, of course, like broadly applicable. But I think the DAOs that are doing really, you know, interesting and innovative work sit in a couple of categories. So the first is definitely some of the that we've seen just in terms of their ability to manage and govern over such a large you know, not only treasury, but suite of products and users. I think that is just amazing. You know, think about how many people work at Uniswap or how many people work at Aave. And then you think about their treasuries and it's just, it's just insane. I don't think we've seen anything like this in, in our history. So I think that is an area that we're going to continue to see a lot of, you know, work and I think growth. Um, and then the second piece that I'm really excited about is you know, social tokens or investment DAOs where you have a group of folks come together to either, you know, purchase an NFT or collect a particular type of NFT or invest with a thesis or just like a community of folks who are really excited about XYZ. I think that th those types of grassroots communities are filled with passionate members and it kind of brings that idea of, you know, you only need a, a thousand true fans or a hundred true fans 
to really see a community proliferate. And, you know, I've, I've written a little bit about this, but that's where this idea of having a micro economy within a DAO can kind of take off where it's like, this is a fully functioning little economy within this, within this DAO. And I think that's super cool and kind of services the tail end of DAOs and, and what they can do. Yeah, I really, I really like that is kind of those two buckets. One is very kind of pragmatic and, you know, solving this real kind of dollars and cents kind of thing. And then there's this other one on the other side of the spectrum, which is very, you know, qualitative and in, in how do how do humans interact and how do we coordinate people and, and allow us to rally kind of around a mission. And it kind of almost feels like the new nonprofit or, you know, social club, whatever the right word is, the mechanism to do that in a really profound way, as opposed to just kind of handling that in a, uh, you know, classic meat space, relying on all human connections to you know, do that. And that, I, th those two do jump out to me as the two most probable ones that really, really stick. And I'm also really trying to also push myself of thinking about, you know, DAOs having short time horizons as well. I think that's one question I tend to ask is, you know, do we see a future? And I'd like to ask you this question is like, do you see a future where there's a lot of DAOs that, you know, they pop up, they solve a particular problem on, you know, call it a six, 12, 18 month type duration. Or do we see a path where there's a ton of these like long standing, you know, decades uh, long institutions that are DAOs? And, and where would you kind of see maybe the average DAO or maybe you could apply it by a category, but do you kind of see DAOs kind of popping up and disappearing as, as they solve a particular short term problem? Or do you see them as these long standing institutions? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think I tend, you know, if you had asked me this a year ago, I would have said, I think these are going to be long-standing institutions. I think, you know, a lot of the networks that we've seen, um, you know, whether it's in the DeFi world or otherwise, I think of those as like on an infinite time horizon where, you know, these might be around for eight, 10, 20 years. And the beauty is that token itself can exchange holders, right? Like the, the group that actually makes up the, you know, Ave network, for example, is going to continue to shift almost like this is like a living organism, but that it could live on in, per, you know, for perpetuity for, for forever, basically. And so I continue to think that that's going to be how we start creating these DAOs that really scale. And when I say scale, I mean scale to like millions of potential users and billions of dollars in terms of, of management of products and treasury. But on the other end of the spectrum, over the past, you know, six months, we've seen a ton of experimentation where yeah, a DAO spins up and it's like, hey, we really just want to do X, Y, and Z. And then once we finish that task, um, you know, we're kind of we're kind of done. And I think there's a place for those types of DAOs. But then the question really becomes, you know, do you, what do you, what happens when a DAO dissolves? Do you, where does a token go? What does M and A look like in the DAO world? Is it even possible? Like all those kind of complex questions that I think are still pretty unsolved. Yeah, I, lo I love the M&A question. Uh, it is such a profound kind of thought experiment to kind of go through. But I, I think I, what I hear in what you're talking about a little bit is, you know, when we think of like a tech company, it's like the average person obviously starts thinking about the Am um, Amazons, the Apples, all these, you know, mega, mega tech companies. But, you know, the average tech company is actually probably quite a small organization. And maybe it's a kind of medium size, medium to small, even maybe 50 employees. Like if, I'd love to look at the statistics on like what the average is versus the median versus the, you know, the, the top 1%. And I'm kind of hearing a little bit of that in, in kind of thinking of the DAOs. It's like, there's going to be a couple of these that are trillion dollar opportunity market cap, you know, massive, massive thing. But maybe the average DAO is relatively short term, maybe those pops up and goes, maybe there's these mechanisms to uh, unwind them. Is that a fair kind of playback of, of how you're thinking about it? 
Absolutely. So kind of taking that, I've been meaning to ask a, a VC kind of how you would even think about like, are DAOs investable? How, how would you guys even think about that if they are? Like, I'd love to just kind of hear how that fits in in how a venture capitalist might think about this. Yeah, so, so I guess at a high level to think about should we be investing in DAOs or how would we be investing in DAOs? I think it's really about long-term incentive alignment. So when we purchase a token for a particular DAO, do we believe that there's you know, a 10, 15 year opportunity or eight to 10 year opportunity, which is really the venture time horizon? And then the second piece is that even though we're investing in a token, oftentimes these tokens are representative of early stage projects. So my, I guess my short answer is yes, it is investable. And I think it's because there is a longer term uh, time horizon. It's an early stage project usually for, I mean, venture capital doesn't mean early stage only, but it's usually something that, you know, is, is what we would designate as like in the private markets, even though there's obviously liquidity there. And then I think what really shifts the game here is how venture capitalists support DAOs and what role they actually play in those DAOs. So I can kind of share in like two different buckets. So first is from a capital perspective, I think venture capitalists can offer, I don't want, I don't know what the, I, I guess like the slang word of this is like, you know, a diamond hand, right? We, we can, <laughs> we can invest in it. We can invest in a DAO and we'll hold it. We'll be locked up for a particular period of time. And we're thinking about it from, you know, a long-term horizon. So this is not someone who's going to go purchase your token and then, you know, buy and sell and trade it per se at a high, like I'm speaking in generalizations, but that's kind of how I think about that. Yeah. And then the second piece is on the more services angle. So, and, and we can maybe go into this a little bit later, but we're starting to see different groups of users emerge within a DAO where, you know, some groups might be participating more on the governance side or some, you know, whether that's talking about treasury management or running a grants program or helping out with like token design or whatever that might look like. We're starting to see di these different groups emerge. And I think the role of like venture is going to be increasingly beneficial in the governance on the governance side of things, whether that's, you know, having somebody who's going to consistently be voting in proposals, voicing their opinion, helping craft up proposals, thinking about the financial health of the DAO. I think a lot of those questions are things that you can work hand in hand with with a VC, with a VC that's, you know, at least well, like well versed in the DAO landscape. And I think that can be super beneficial to bootstrapping a DAO and just having, you know, a user who is like so incentivized to participate from day one. So from that angle, I think it's really, I think it really makes a lot of sense. And then over time, of course, you want to make sure that your community is properly decentralized and, you know, spread across a great number of users. But I think it can be really useful to have someone who's, he's so aligned from day one. I I think that is a brilliant approach to thinking about services in the web three space. I, I hadn't even considered how VCs are thinking about what value add services they're bringing from the web two world into the web three one. And I, I that is the perfect service package. And I, I think about the, the VCs and the funds that are going to be able to really, really add a ton of value are going to be ones that can spin those services up really, really well, have trustworthy people think about, hey, how are we going to design this token, token tokenomics, governance? Uh, that is that is incredible. I think that is really, really powerful. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's interesting also about services is that 
you know, so like venture, the people say venture is like a service oriented industry and it absolutely is. But to a, and to a certain extent that has meant, you know, knowing the right people or being able to make the right introductions and so on and so forth. And in the Dow world, we kind of see this like flattening of the, of the field, this leveling of the leveling of the field where anybody can really jump in and start getting their, getting up to speed on, you know, governance or whatever it may be. Um, and so as a, as, as a venture fund, you know, fund, you're now competing with the users of any DAO. And that's a completely different dynamic than like, you know, being an early stage investor and helping out in like private markets. And so in order to be competitive, you really need to, you know, not only like offer these services, but be able to kind of go above and beyond. And I think we're starting to see some funds really take that seriously. It's, it's, it excites me as an entrepreneur because I, it, Obviously, the access to capital, especially in the last you know two years, has become uh, increasingly open. And obviously, we're seeing you know the seed deals, kind of this kind of the Web two space of just really hyper exploding. And and I feel like the the value add of of venture funds is feeling like it's diminishing a bit in in the Web two space. And so you're kind of seeing this realignment. Obviously, um, Andreessen Horowitz is thinking a lot about media, media and distribution, things like that. But you're seeing these unique strategies uh, emerge. And I just, I love the way you're thinking about it in the Web3 one, because it's like, yes, here's the seed capital you need to, you know, build that centralized team to get that protocol off the ground. But man, we can help in so many different ways. What a powerful angle and um, big fan of that thinking. Thank you. Sorry, I'm blanking on my question. I'll edit, I'll edit this out. There was a piece there that... I lost it. We'll go on to the tweet. Let me pull it up. So you had this awesome tweet, which was around this idea of new social layer for governance and what it looks like. And you had some ideas, but I would love for you to kind of talk through a little bit of the problem and why that problem is important. And then I'd love to kind of hear some of the ideas and kind of expand and ask some questions on that. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think this this idea and tweet was kind of born out of a you know, maybe a little bit of like a boomer opinion of mine, which is that I find Discord to be really difficult to, to use on a daily basis. And it's not that I don't love the Discord product, but you know, now when I'm trying to engage with DAOs on multiple different levels, I find it's it's somewhat hard to follow this, you know, the Discord conversations and then kind of go back to forums. And, and then sometimes you're then also talking to folks on Telegram or Signal. And, and it just feels like there's a lot of different places where these conversations are happening where, you know, if you think about the governance value chain, or, or I don't even know if that's the right word, life cycle, there's like a few different pieces. One is like, okay, what is the problem? Two is there's probably a bunch of folks talking about it and, and coming together with, some, you know, some sort of proposal. They're drafting it up. You know, it's, it's on Google Docs and you're discussing it and commenting on it and, and you know, basically socializing it with the key players in the DAO. And that's very similar to how you might draft up a proposal within an organization. Then you post the proposal. Then there's, you know, conversations around the proposal. Then you make edits to that. And then it gets put up to a vote and then, it, you, you know, you vote on it. So that's kind of all the steps that you have to take. All of those steps right now are happening across multiple different platforms. And so to me, it feels like there's a really great opportunity to think about, you know, how can we solve some of the coordination problems? How can we consolidate across the different, you know, areas that we're, we're all talking with one another? And then also sort of see proposal support that's live, you know, maybe get like an idea, almost like a poll of like how many votes we're actually going to be able to get for this particular proposal. And then I have like a whole wish list of sort of features, but that's really where I think the problem 
starts from is just like take the existing process and realize how stitched together it is. And, and I think there's just a better way to do it. Yeah, you made a comment of like, it's just boomer thinking. And I feel like uh, as I've come into this space, I feel like I have a, a bunch of that. And this is something that I was immediately shocked about as, as someone who used Slack with my with my second startup. And then with my third, I was like, we are not using Slack. We use Twist, which is a very asynchronous, focused, threaded, very deliberate on who gets notified when uh, space, which, you know, it doesn't solve all the problems, but it felt like a major improvement over Slack. This idea of kind of jumping into Discord and then being like, oh, yep, there's a Telegram conversation. There's there's tweets that are going on, Google Docs, discourses, and then Snapchats and, and actual, who knows, you know, they actually have their blog post that it, it describes the whole governance process. It, it felt very, very disconnected. And so I totally agree with you on that. So some of the ideas that you were kind of throwing around, like, do you think that the solution is tying together sort of in a vertical that it's kind of a weird way to describe it, but it's like, obviously there's a bunch of isolated tools. And then the word, when I say ver vertical here, it's like, do you think the solution is vertical oriented in the sense that like, you may be discussing an idea, that idea is sort of moved up into another layer of abstraction, which maybe is, is more formalized. And then you're kind of moving through that. Or do you think it is sort of a destination that replaces some of the elements So dis discord still exists, but for example, but maybe this is a discourse built for DAOs, like, how do you think about sort of the the islandness of this versus the verticalness of this? Yeah, I, I actually love, I, I really like the idea of doing it vertically where you're kind of moving through the funnel and you now at the very top of the funnel is like the broad, this is, you know, open to absolutely everybody who's like, we're just going to talk about this thing. And then maybe at the next step it moves on and it's like, hey, this is a working group you know, we're, it's going to be, we're inviting, you know, these 10 folks to work on it. It's still public, but you can't edit it. And, you know, these 10, this ten, these 10 folks are working on this proposal and then it moves on to the next level. So I think some sort of prioritization is going to be really important, but the reason I think like we could just build a new discord or like some sort of, you know, app is because I think some of the, some of the problems and things that we're discussing are so unique to DAO. So I can give you a couple of examples, but things that I, th I thought about are how do we reduce you know, reinventing the wheel? So there are a lot of proposals that are um, being written for grant programs right now, and we've seen it with Compound and Uniswap and Aave, and many of those teams are sharing best practices with one another and kind of working together, but it's, there's no like great way to do that today. So, you know, can we create like templates for different governance proposals and have categories you can sort of sort and filter through what's happening and and be able to look back at historical proposals that have passed and potentially not passed and why or why not so that's like one angle which is really like around documentation and then i think the second piece is around like education and onboarding you know i think we take we take it for granted that like you know, people can just jump in and do governance. I don't really know that that's something that if I were graduating from college, say, I would 100% be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So to the, to the extent that there can be like some way to, to sort of funnel new users, because at the end of the day, the more, you know, the more, I guess, sticky or, you know, interested users you can get, the more robust your governance process is going to be, right? We really don't want these DAOs to be just filled with users who who just don't really care. And, and you know, having some sort of discussion, is it means that the protocol is healthy and it means that like the DAO people, you know, want to argue or discuss a particular topic because it's worth discussing. So what does that process look like? And then 
the third is like, how do we actually look across all of these DAOs in some sort of dashboard and do like a health check across like, you know, who's voting for what and when are they voting? And, you know, can you come up with some sort of like reputation for status signaling of saying like, you know, on Reddit, we have karma and, and other right. types of ways of voting up. So it's like, oh yeah, this person, they've done a ton of great work for XYZ DAO. Like I know that they've really thought about this. So the reason I think like Discord doesn't work for this per se is because a lot of these features, I think need to be kind of custom built out. But that being said, like vertical verticalization, I think is, is a little bit inevitable because right now the space is just so fragmented and I think it'll continue to be fragmented until we come, you know, until we come up with like more standard solutions or, you know, standard winners, I guess, on the tooling. Yeah. I, I love your point about the onboarding experience because one of the things that I find describing this to, to friends, you know, from high school and college, you know, what, from whatever, uh, this idea of governance broadly the steps required to kind of get to the point where I'm explaining the, how these things work, it takes, you know, a few analogies or, or a nice analogy that kind of sets up maybe a second order or third order kind of delivery for lack of a better word. And what I think is some of the best governance structures, and I, I love like Yearn's you know, Y team's implementation, it's so different than the way that like the US political system works or most democracy systems work out there that it's also non-intuitive. So it's like, to your point about kind of coming out of college and thinking about governance broadly, it's like, we have this really strange thing where like most people don't know how the US government works. And that's the only model that they may know as much as they know. <laughs> and then they joining these really sophisticated governance 2.0 entities that have really awesome solutions to very cool problems. But those mechanisms are need to be taught and they're not intuitive. So as you kind of say, okay, I'm a member and I want to participate in this thing, there's actually a really high learning curve there to even understand how do I even contribute value or how do I be a participant in this in a, in a simple way and then allow you to your point sort of like level up to the next piece of that of actually really, really helping, you know, establish law development as an example using the, the U.S. political system. It's a, it's a really, it's a big gap right now. And I, I totally agree with that. It's, yeah, it is a major gap. And I think what I've found is the expectation in, in, in crypto more broadly is like, you know, if you want to learn this stuff, like you kind of have to get your hands dirty on the forums and, the, you know, on Twitter and spend, you know, a couple months reading on it and usually have a couple of friends who help you. And I think that's great. And it, it's obviously like very much of a self-starter mentality, but it's really difficult to scale that, right? It's really difficult to say that we're going to be able to get millions of users who are really interested and engaged in crypto, but all come in through these like various kind of a little bit challenging to piece together onboarding routes. And so what I've been thinking about a lot is on the governance side, I think we have a great opportunity to to learn by doing where, you know, we've already started to see little bounties go out of, hey, like we really need somebody to write up like a summary of our metrics over the past month and like we're going to pay 500 tokens or whatever. I think there's just like all these really cool ways where you can learn and it's like bite-sized opportunities. And so what does it look like to do like a governance job board or like a governance you know, boot camp or something like that, where it's like, right. hey, like, rather than go interning on Wall Street, like spend eight weeks and like dive into the governance of DAOs and like, pick up a bunch of really cool projects. So that's just something like that's been kind of in the back of my head. But I think there's a huge opportunity there to like, think through how do we scale governance practices when it comes to talent? Yeah, that's a that's a 
really cool idea because as someone who's just recently gone gone down that journey in the last two or three months and kind of really taking this seriously yeah it's like you're totally right it's been a wild rabbit chase uh, through multiple different things and if i wasn't <laughs> motivated to kind of learn about that uh, i feel like the average person just either throw their hands up uh, or they're so motivated by you know maybe the engineering element of or whatever it is it's like the average person as we think about getting more and more people on board in this space we're going to need really simple onboarding mechanisms just to even explain the concept and then go through make some examples i totally agree with you there's an opportunity to kind of build something in, in that way. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I- No, go ahead. I was I was actually going to, to wrap, so I would love to hear what you were gonna say. Oh, I was just gonna say, like on this particular vein, I, I love what Rabbit Hole is building. Brian Flynn is really trying to kind of get that, that same angle of getting users who are really incentivized to participate rather than speculate. So that was kind of my, my plug for, for Rabbit Hole. Yeah, I love Rabbit Hole. I love, I love Brian. He was uh, an early guest and so super interesting in what they're doing at Rabbit Hole. And yeah, I think that idea of teaching people through kind of simple tasks that you can incentivize. Yeah, it's a, it's a great mechanism that I'm excited to see how it, how it plays. Yeah, it's so I was going to ask a separate question. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll save it. Maybe we'll do it a, a second a second time that you're on. But uh, if you can remind people where to, to find you and uh, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm on Twitter, Kindle B. Shaw. You can find me there and, and always open to chatting. Cool. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Stateless Podcast. We would greatly appreciate a review in your favorite podcast player. And if you want to stay in the loop even further, go to stateless.boardroom.info to get more information, check out the repo, check out the community newsletter. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.